4: The perfect example of why sports are the best reality TV and we're going to talk through it all on today's edition of the Lombardi line presented by DraftKings alongside three time Super Bowl winning executive and strategist Michael Lombardi Stormy Bonantoni with you if you wanted chaos in college football you got it we will talk through the FSU snub in about 15 minutes but we're going to start Michael with the most important thing of the day obviously which is how about them Niners what a performance yesterday Michael.
3: Were you a little nervous in the first quarter when you saw the two three and outs? I mean, were you like, oh, no, what's going on here?
4: You know, when you hear that your team has negative six yards in a quarter, which were the fewest in a quarter ever under Mike Shanahan, it wasn't, you know, I mean, under Kyle Shanahan, it wasn't the best feeling that I had. But then when you respond with something that hasn't been done since my birth year, which is score on six straight drives after, then, you know, you feel a little bit more confidence build up.
3: Yeah, no question. And, well, you should. I mean, and they did it with with really precision. I mean, the second quarter they had 21 plays, you know, and get 11 first downs. They had horrible field position, really, on those two drives. I mean, they started those drives at their own 15 and their own 10 and went the length of the field to score. And then they come back out. Again, no field position, 25 and the 23-yard line, and go the length of the field and score. So this wasn't one of those where they benefited from field position. which we often don't discuss. So it was a great play-get-call game. Their defense was really very uh, aggressive. They tackled well. That was a pristine performance by them other than the first quarter. And look, the Eagles had 24 plays in the first quarter and they could only get get six points. And, you know, that's ultimately what happens when you don't score touchdowns when you get to the red zone, things fall apart for you.
4: Yeah, 42-19, the final, so an easy win in cover for San Francisco, which got up to a three-and-a-half point favorite at close. Total goes over the 47-and-a-half, and, a half. and I, I was concerned at the start of the game, Michael, because we're used to seeing the 49ers come out and have that great opening game script where yeah. they, they get the ball and they drive down the field, they score that first opportunity they do, so there was a little bit of. A cause for concern they worked their way out of it the other time I had cause for concern was when Dre Greenlaw got into it on the sideline with Big Dom Michael what was going on there
3: yeah I mean I look you know I mean Big Dom's a big part of that organization I think he's got the assistant GM title along with you know head of security they he gets things done no matter who you talk to that has been in Philly that has left Philadelphia whether, you know, whether it's going back a bunch of these coaches, they all hold Dom in great respect because he gets stuff done. He kind of does all the things that need to get done. He's a vital part of that team. So, yeah, he got into it. It'd be interesting to see. but I'm sure the league will spend more time on this than the horrible refereeing that we saw over the weekend. You know, I'm sure they'll do that. But we'll see. Look, he's, it was one of those situations where Greenlaw gets thrown out. I mean, that was not a fair exchange. I mean, they're throwing Greenlaw out. Dom didn't play. <laughs> Taking Dom off the sideline, what, what, what was that going to do? Well, and he like, was just doing what did his, that do?
4: He's the head of security, Michael. Like, and I'm a 49ers fan saying this. He was just doing his job from what it looked like yeah. to me trying to break things up. I wish that Greenlaw didn't make contact. Like, that obviously makes it look a lot worse than it did if he was actually just pointing or anything like that. But makes contact with the face. You got to be out of the game. And I thought that that was a spot where maybe the Eagles could rally a little bit, get behind they that.
3: Yeah, they had nothing left in a tank stormy. I think I think what we were saying all week about the 92 plays against Buffalo, we saw them come out and do the best that they could in the first quarter. Yep. They they landed a bunch of punches and it didn't flinch the 49ers. I mean, it didn't flinch them. They said, "That's your best punch." And right onto it. And so, look, this was going to be the residual effect of all these three games. Now, let's put things in perspective here, right? You know, people that were complaining about the power rankings of Philadelphia, they're, they're well earned here. Let's be honest. I mean, Philadelphia has not been a very good team numerically, they've been a powerful team in the last 10 minutes of mm-hmm. the game, closing it out and winning. But when you look at the stats, 32nd and third down a defense, 28th and red zone defense, teams are throwing the ball at a rapid rate against them, attacking these corners. I mean, here's the thing that's funny, Stormy. They put money into the secondary. They paid Bradbury. They redid Slay's deal. They trade for Bayard. And they can't cover anybody. And in the first quarter, we saw their front kind of give Purdy some trouble, and that helped. But once the, the offensive line of the 49ers got control of the game, all hell broke loose.
4: Yeah, and how about Debo Samuel too? There was a lot of trash that was talked coming into this game for him to go out there and have 138 yards and three touchdowns, massive performance from the wide back, whatever you want to call the position that he does, but the strength, the speed, everything he did. And your boy, Brock Purdy, 314 yards, four touchdowns. Um, Now the MVP favorite, and I know you guys (laughs) on Saturday had Brian Baldinger on the program who said "If if you want to get a good number on Brock Purdy, get it now eleven to one was as high as seventeen to one some places last week. Now a three to one favorite, Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott behind him at plus three fifty. But well deserved, given all of the numerical stats. Speaking to numbers, Michael, that he leads the NFL in right
3: now. I mean, he's playing flawlessly, flawlessly, accurate. You know, bad weather, no problem. Makes plays, moves around, gets the ball. I thought Debo was great yesterday. I know they were talking on the broadcast about, oh, well, you know, McCaffrey's got to be up for it. I know Terry Bradshaw mentioned that that's his MVP. Look, if you're going to give a non-quarterback the MVP, there's only one person who wins that award, just one. His name's Tyree Kill. He plays for the Miami Dolphins. He tilts the field way more than McCaffrey. He is a huge part of all the success that Miami has had this year and they'll continue to have as they actually are, you know, that now they're tied for the same record as the Chiefs. The Chiefs have the tiebreaker, but the Chiefs seem very vulnerable. This first, this, this number one seed to me in the in the AFC is up for grabs. The NFC, it's still Philly San Francisco, Philly having the one game advantage, but To me, there's only one player outside of the quarterbacking position, whether it's Prescott or Purdy, that really deserves to mention, and th- and that's Tyreek Hill.
4: Which, quite frankly, I don't know why Tua is seven to one and Tyreek sixteen to one because Tyreek is why Tua looks so good. He had five catches over 150 yards, two touchdowns yesterday. He's on pace for 2,098 yards, 17 touchdowns, and 132 grabs on the season. That's that's what his projected numbers are at right now, which obviously would set a single season record set previously by Calvin Johnson. And he said at the beginning of the year, this was what he was going to do. That this yeah. was his eye was on the prize from the standpoint. He's been incredible. Um, that's his fifth 150 plus yard game this season, tying an NFL single season record with Tim Brown, Antonio Brown, and Jerry Rice. Pretty dang good company to be a part of, Michael. Um, one thing that you referenced there with um, with Philly being that still top contender in the NFC, Cowboys obviously there as well with their record. An interesting bet. 49ers plus 165 to be the number one seed in the NFC. Philly's still the favorite at their record at minus 135. But given the the schedule that they have ahead, and, and the head-to-head game that we have coming up this next week with Philly and Dallas going head-to-head, and Dallas being a three-point favorite in that game where things sit right now, I think that could be a good plus-money bet on San Francisco.
3: Well, look, I think that you know they got Seattle at home, they got Arizona in Arizona, then they got Baltimore at home, tough game. Gotta Washington get through Baltimore, and Washington. Yeah. Washington and Washington and then they got the Rams at home. So let's just say they go four and one down the stretch. There's no reason they can't go five and oh. They can no reason they can't be fourteen and three. Mm-hmm. But let's just say they stub their toe against Baltimore at home. I don't think they will, but let's say they do. You know, now the Eagles have to lose two more games. And Philly has a tougher schedule. I mean, let's face it, they got Dallas this week, which that line opened up what? And it moved it's at three and a half, the what I checked this morning. Mm-hmm. Right, they come back. They've, then they got Seattle and Seattle, not a problem. And then two of the last three games, they have the Giants and the Cardinals. But this means they're going to have to play their guys all the way through the end of the year. There's going to be no break. Hertz going to have to play, and I don't think Hertz looked healthy yesterday. I don't think Hertz was this. I don't think he's had the same speed. Remember, this run game, Stormy, has been the key to their success, right? They've averaged 4.6 yards per attempt last year. They're down to 4-1 this year. That's a half a yard. Now, they carry the ball more last year, 32 attempts. This year, they're down to 30. But what we're seeing from Philly this year, and we've been saying it all year, that second quarter dominance that they had last year, 206 points, they're minus 50 in the second quarter this year.
4: You mentioned Jalen Hurts not looking like himself. He also did have to leave the game dealing with uh, what appeared to be potentially a concussion. He cleared protocol. He came back in. But yeah, given that state of the game anyways, late, I was surprised that they kept him in as long as they did. I respect not wanting to throw in the towel to an extent, but... You don't want to hurt your most prized possession. But, Michael, yeah. let's go from one Super Bowl um, competitor a year ago that doesn't look the same to another in the Kansas City Chiefs who fell to the Packers last night, 27-19. to 19, And uh, the two-minute officiating was pretty brutal.
3: Brutal. Yeah, I mean, look, but we're going to make sure we, we really dig into the Dom and the Greenlaw thing this week, and we're going to make sure we don't talk about the officiating. I mean, I don't know. I was watching a game they called the false start. I never even saw it in the Rams-Browns game. I mean, it, it just doesn't extend to the national TV games. It goes all over. Look, Kansas City has no one to blame but themselves, right? I mean, you throw an interception in the fourth quarter. You got you, know, you have to punt. You can't convert plays. You know, that they just didn't, they haven't brought their A game with them and they only forced i mean let's face it now green bay only had seven possessions in the game stormy in the fourth quarter in the fourth quarter they ran almost 30 plays and had nine first downs in the fourth quarter if you're a great defense you're getting that ball back you can't allow your opponent to have it for 12 minutes in the third in the fourth quarter when you're behind in the game and that's what green bay did
4: yeah, and for this Kansas City team, Michael, like we've talked about it a lot. And last week, granted, they woke up in the second half, but they have not been a good second half team. They were shut out in three straight games at one point in the second half. So um, it's very interesting to watch where this team is at compared to where we saw them winning a Super Bowl last February. We'll pick back up a little bit more on this game. When we come back, we got to take a quick time out here. Our first break of the show. We'll also get into the college football playoff selection committee's decision to keep oh, out boy. For the first time in CFP history, an undefeated Power Five champion. So, a lot of layers to that discussion. Excited to have all of you on board with us, a lot to get into. Stay with us right here on the Lombardi line on Visa and the Sports Betting Network.
1: This is The Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, here is your host, Stormy Bonatone, on VCN, the sports betting
4: network. And has got an early Christmas present for you, a VEASAN Pro subscription. You don't have one yet? No problem. We're giving away this year's College Bowl Betting Guide to everybody. We've got spreads, totals, and expert picks from the Golics, Steve Mackinnon, and Brent Musburger for every single bowl game. Put a bowl on this bowl season. Get your free copy of our veson College Bowl Betting Guide absolutely free. Visit VEASAN.com slash bowl guide to get your free copy today. Very excited for bowl season. We'll get into college football In a moment, because obviously there's been a lot of drama over the past 24 hours with what happened in the college football playoffs final rankings. But let's get back to real quickly that Chiefs Packers game on Sunday night football last night, Michael, because now through the past three, four games, we have seen the transformation for Jordan Love at quarterback that it's not a fluke what he's doing out there anymore. He's starting to get things together. It really seems.
3: Yeah, I mean, I thought his accuracy, his timing, his rhythm have all improved through the season. You know, we talked about it on the podcast. He's able to cut down on his bad throws. He's still not at 70% bad throws, okay? But, you know, that number has gone up. He was in the mid-50s. Now he's in the mid-60s. So he's cut down on bad throws. He's only at 16.7% of off-target throws, which that number was in the 20s earlier in the season. So you can see he's got more rhythm to the game. You could see he's got more ability to kind of handle the offense. And look, these skill players are doing a great job. I mean, they really are. They're moving the They're able to catch, advance the ball, run after the catch, I think their young receivers have grown up. There's no question about it. They've grown up, and this has really helped him. And he's grown up, too. I mean, this Packer team is peaking at the right time. They really are. And with his ability to be accurate, and, and I think without without Aaron Jones, I was surprised by this. I think even A.J. Dillon is playing better. I mean, his his numbers were in the twos on yards per attempt. Now he's gone way up. And for a team that doesn't have any – they don't have their best tight end, right? For a team that doesn't have any really production in terms of success ratio from a catch standpoint, you know, what you want when you have great receivers like Hill and those players, their catch ratio is usually in the high 60s, low 70s. Tight ends are always above 70 when they're good. Packers don't have any of that. And yet now they're starting to, their numbers are starting to climb, and you could see it. I mean, Musgrave, before he got hurt, he's at 73.3. When he comes back, that number will go way up.
4: Yeah, we will have to see what happens with Christian Watson dealing with the hamstring, but LaFleur said it before the game, Michael, that for his quarterback, Jordan Love, he's had a thousand snaps and mistakes now to learn from and to start to figure things out. And over these last three games, 3-0, 857 passing touchdowns, passing yards, eight touchdowns, no picks. Since week nine, he's third in QBR of all quarterbacks, third in pass yards, and second in touchdowns. So this stretch has been really good for him to get some confidence. And the Packers now sit at 6-6 and and are in that 7 spot in the NFC playoff picture. They are now minus 230 to make the playoffs. And I think they're becoming a team that you don't want to see in that early round.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. And their defense is tough to block, right? I think their defense is tough to block. And they're covering better. Yesterday, they played man-to-man against the Chiefs and had no issues you know and they were able to put some pressure on. Look, we know the Chiefs aren't explosive. The Chiefs ran the ball effectively. They were over 5 yards a carry in the game, but again, what happened? They got ahead, the Packers scored to get ahead. The Chiefs kind of couldn't run the football. You know, I I do think they're a tough out if he continues to play at this level. And we said last spring and summer that the Packers were not a bad team. They were good defensively. They just needed somebody to play quarterback that was playing well. A lot of good young players on their offense. And that offensive line can pass protect. And I think that's shown to be true.
4: And I think we're, we're feeling a little bit vindicated for our preseason thoughts on Jordan Love and the Packers versus that stretch where we were like, oh, maybe this is not going to work out. It turns out our initial feelings were correct, at least for the time being. Um, okay, Michael, let's get into a little college football playoff talk here, because for the first time in the history of this four-team format, an undefeated Power 5 team, yeah. a conference champion, has been held out. The way that the top four shook out, Michigan, number one, Washington, two, Texas, three. Alabama gets in as a one loss SEC champion at four. And then Florida State and Georgia end up on the outside looking in. When you saw this come down, what was your initial reaction?
3: Well, I said on Saturday night to the great Bill Berman, who was, who basically was cheering on Alabama and was responsible for the turnaround. <laughs> he takes full credit for it completely, right? I mean, if Big Daddy takes credit for the Packers, Bill Berman's going to take credit for Alabama. I mean, Nick Saban only did his best job because of he had somebody in his ear all Obviously. week. Obviously. Uh, I, I felt like, to me, I would have put Georgia and Alabama in. I know I, it sounds like I'm an SEC snob. I didn't get all the Texas love. You know, I mean, here's a team that I don't I didn't think the Big 12 was as good as it's been in the past. You know, they struggled to, you know, they, they beat Kansas State on a miss extra point where well, you could say Alabama got lucky on the 31 yard touchdown pass. I get you. But Alabama played some some more challenging teams than I thought the Big 12 had this season. So I never thought they would put Florida State in because they keep saying it's the best four teams. So when you say that, how is Georgia not one of the best four teams?
4: You're not going to get a disagreement out of me, Michael. I came on the show with you and Femi on Saturday and said as much as well. Um, I, I like this top four. I am fine with it. I'm not going to get on a soapbox saying, it is a travesty that Georgia is not in. I do think that they should have been. Um, had 29 straight wins coming into this. They were the top ranked team in the country. And it's the first time that in the penultimate rankings, the top team in the country at that time fell out. It's also the first time that we saw seeds seven or below make their way in in that final set of rankings leading up to the last one. And so a lot of first, a lot of uniqueness to it. If I'm Florida State, I'm pissed, and I think rightfully so. The comments from Mike Norvell afterwards with his disappointment in the decision, I completely understand, and I think are warranted from the standpoint of you want to feel like the games matter. But anyone watching Florida State, Michael, saw with their Wide eyes open that they are not one of the top four teams in the country. And I think the one mistake to your point about Georgia that the selection committee made in their explanations about the rankings and Jordan Travis, this team not being the same without him, is that they are ranked ahead of Georgia. I think that if you're talking about the best teams in the country, Florida State clearly is not is not better than Georgia. Hence why when they play in the Orange Bowl, they're a 14 and a half point underdog.
3: Yeah, I mean, think about that fourteen and a half point. Well, let me ask you. I said Mitch and Polly had me on this morning, as they always do on Mondays. I asked both of them, uh, "What would the line be, Georgia versus Texas?" So Texas is uh, Georgia's a five point favorite on a neutral to Alabama. What would you make the line for Georgia versus Texas? What'd you say? I said six and a half, seven. They both were shocked, and then I said, "Well, they were five point favorites against Alabama, and you can't say that." that game was mishandicapped at Alabama. I mean, look, I thought Jalen Milrow played good. I thought he played a B game. He missed a lot of throws. You watch the tape of the game, the all 22. He had crossers open. He didn't throw them to him. He made it harder on himself than he had to. But at the end of the day, they won the game and they won by three. And they did a great job of keeping the ball away from Georgia, because I think if Georgia gets the ball back, they might score there or at least tie the game. They both kind of looked at me in shock. They both shocked by my answer, and they kind of thought about it and said, maybe you're right.
4: Yeah, it's Michael. I think that the spreads that we're seeing are very telling too. And especially on the Florida state end of this DraftKings even came out like immediately and tweeted what their projected number on a Michigan, Florida state game would be. And they would have opened it at 13 like this, this Georgia Florida state game opened at 13 and a half and has been bet already toward the dogs here. So I think that the committee got it right from that standpoint. I agree with you that I think it probably would have made more sense for it to be Alabama and Georgia. Georgia, but I don't hate Texas. I love these games that we're going to get Michigan, a one and a half point favorite against Alabama. We're getting Jim Harbaugh against Nick Saban. That's going to be awesome. The sugar bowl, number two, Washington and number three, Texas, like absolutely sign me up for that. I think that's going to be a great game. The spread in that one, Texas favored by four and a half total 64. I know a lot of people are saying, well, in the past we've had blowouts. Why does it matter? Florida state earned it. They deserve it. Again, this is not about the most deserving team. And I say credit the college football playoff selection committee for saying, okay, we've had blowouts in the past. Let's try to do our best to not have that be the case. Let's actually get the best teams out there and have that competitive game that we've been looking for. Like I'm not knocking the committee for anything here. I think that they did as good a job as they could with the chaos that in
3: Right. I agree. I agree. And I don't think they did what I don't think they do a good job of is managing expectations. Right. I mean, they should have come out and they should have had Florida State rank lower than they did because they didn't have a quarterback. I agree. I mean, that's what they didn't do. They didn't manage any expectations. And so when you have Florida at four, they had them four going in. Right. Yep. And Florida wins. And now you drop them to five because even after they won, then you're saying, well, we graded your performance. If they would have Florida at six saying, look, they're not the same team. They're struggling to win. You know, if they have an impressive performance against Louisville, we'll put them in here. But I think that's where they did a horrible job, managing expectations.
4: I agree. I do think that was a mistake because they do have in their criteria that injuries can play a factor, that they should have made that more known in the previous set of rankings. But they're there's something else that I want to explain about this and we can get into it later in the hour cuz I was at the mock selection committee earlier this season and have some more intel. We'll discuss but first TG when we come back.
1: This is the Lombardi line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni on FSN, the sports betting network.
4: If you're looking for a betting edge this college bowl season, the VEASAN experts have got you covered. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber with our introductory offer of just $9.99. VEASAN Pro subscribers get access to our daily recap of top plays made by VEASAN show hosts and guests. Tools like betting splits to let you see where the money and bets are moving every game. And our college bowl betting guide where you get picks for every single bowl game. Don't miss out. This is a limited time offer. Visit VEASAN.com slash subscribe today to sign up for only $9.99 and become part of the sports bet network. That's VSIN.com slash subscribe. VSIN.com slash subscribe. Welcome back into the Lombardi line. It's time to step right in to Michael's office. Let's run that open.
1: Appointments are lined up. Are you
4: waiting for
1: somebody in there? An appointment. And it's not about what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. It's not personal. It's strictly business. It's time you and me had a private talk Here, you're my office. And Step Into My Office with Michael Lombardi. Mr.
4: Lombardi, we'll see you now. Step right in, Nick Sirianni coming off a tough, tough 42-19 loss to the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC. Obviously, it was a taxing overtime game against the Bills the week prior. And now as they get set for a Sunday night matchup this coming week against the Dallas Cowboys, they're a three-point dog. Michael, as Nick Sirianni comes in, he's talking to you. He needs some advice. What should he say to his team to get back on track and rebound from the loss this week?
3: I don't think he needs to say too much to his team. Obviously, they were humiliated and they were beaten. Uh, The Philadelphia media, the Philadelphia fans will do all the talking. I mean, none of these Eagle players are going to be able to go to their local Wawa or their local Dunkin' Donuts and not have to hear the chatter about how unhappy the fan base is. They'll hear it. I think what Nick needs to do for himself is to stop thinking Dallas is the most important game or Seattle's the next most important game. What's most important for Nick Sirianni today is to figure out what he needs to be able to compete and win a Super Bowl? And how can he advance in the playoff? And what can he do to his team today to fix the problems that are going to creep up at the most inopportune time? That's what great coaches do. Like, everybody sees the Cowboys as the opponent. That's all anybody will talk about. But the real challenge for Seriani is today is to figure out what we have to do, practice, player, and scheme, to improve our deficiencies, most notably defensively, but how can we complement the defense? What do we need to do to improve an offense in all three phases? That's the conversation. And if he figures that out, then beating Dallas, beating Seattle, beating the Giants twice or beating Arizona are insignificant compared to solving that question. Where are we? What are our weaknesses? What do we need to do to fix them? The
4: Eagles are plus 550, still the second shot on the to win it all in 2023. How about Mike Norvell, head coach of the Florida State Seminoles, stepping in after their 13-0 season that was capped with an ACC title win over Louisville. They become the first Power Five undefeated team not to make the college football playoffs top four. Mike Norvell publicly did not mince words. He said he's disgusted and infuriated with the committee's decision to have what was earned, in his opinion, on the field taken away because of a small group of people they now have to get set to face georgia in the orange bowl michael what does norvell and this florida state team need to hear as they try to show what they were made of
3: well there's no sense in complaining it's over You know, Mike, there's no sense. Nobody feels sorry for you. Nobody's going to sit there and say, yes, you're right. Everybody's going to be happy, especially your competitors. What you need to do is turn it up. You need to use this setback and make it a comeback. I feel badly for the kids who aren't going to be with your program next year because they're not going to be able to experience the final four. But you're going to be the head coach of Florida State long after this game. So you need to do everything in your power. And as a young coach, I think one of the things you can learn from from this and i think urban meyer had this nailed down pretty well is yes you may lose your starter but you better have a really good backup and a really good backup after that what we're seeing in the transfer portal is kids that don't play immediately leave school so that's what we know and what you're going to have to do is recruit as many quarterbacks and have them on campus and then develop them have them ready to play i know the kid you played on saturday night was a four-star five-star highly recruited kid not ready to play if, if you're going to be honest with yourself and you're going to take shots at the committee, what you should do to defend your team, you got to look at yourself and say, how did we not have this kid ready to play at a better level, which maybe the committee would have thought he was ready like they did with Ohio State.
4: Yeah, Brock Glenn struggled. Tate Rodemaker, you don't know if he would have been a whole lot better. But he will be the starter in that game against Georgia, which we are seeing as a 14-point spread where things sit right now. And I, I really feel for Florida State. And I feel for Jordan Travis. He tweeted afterwards saying he wished that he would have broke his leg sooner so that the committee could have seen the team for what they are. Really, really unfortunate circumstances. Hate hearing something like that. Let's bring a quarterback into the office. Russell Wilson, QB one for the Denver Broncos, was playing really solid over that five game win streak for Denver, but seems like he took a little bit of a step back in the Broncos five-point loss to the Texans this past week. 186 yards and a touchdown. Three picks in their first loss since October 12th. Michael, what does Wilson need to do to give the Broncos the best chance to make a run here still at the playoffs
3: well i I think russell what your role has been and how you've been handling it is marvelous i mean you've done a great job You've gone from being the head chef at uh, the French Laundry to not even being a short order cook at the Hackensal Diner. I mean, so you've done a really good job of burying your ego. What you have to do is protect the football. One of the reasons your team has won over the last five weeks is you've forced 16 turnovers defensively, and you've only turned the ball over one time in those five games. You know, in the last four games, you've forced 15 turnovers and you haven't missed any field goals so what you have to do is understand the protecting of the ball a punt's a good play now i get the last interception you got pressured you throw it into coverage you try to make a play i get it but you got to be more careful with the football and you've got to be able to rely on your skills as a playmaker your skills as someone who's dishing the ball around who's basically trying to make everybody else better whether it's judy whether it's williams whether it's sutton mclaughlin it doesn't matter you've got to make them better And when you have have your chances to make your plays, you got to take advantage of them. So, this isn't really about you. That loss isn't on your three interceptions. That loss is on the inability of the defense to do what they've done in the past, which was create turnovers.
4: Broncos currently 6 and 6, sitting in the ninth spot in the AFC playoff picture, plus 330 now to make the postseason. The Kansas City Chiefs went all the way to the Super Bowl last year and won it. They look a little bit different here in 2023. Andy Reid steps into the office after this Chiefs offense, Michael, has failed to score 20 points for the fifth time this season. Kansas City, one in four in those games. A rough loss to Green Bay yesterday, 27-19. to 19. What needs to change for the Chiefs to get back to that Super Bowl caliber play?
3: Well, I think, look, I mean, Andy, if you'd have told you before the game that the Green Bay Packers were going to be able to move the ball in eight possessions or seven possessions that they had it and scored 27 points, you would have said, there's no way. We're a better defensive team than that. And that's true, you are. You've been that way all year. Eight possessions, it it really, seven possessions, and they get 27 points. So this is really, you know, you scored, you you know you're not going to be explosive. For you to get the 24 points, for you to get the 27, you need to create a defensive turnover. That's not going to happen all the time. So. If the defense doesn't play it's A game, you're going to have to figure out how to play one.
4: Chiefs 8-4 and right now, currently in the fourth spot in the AFC playoff picture behind the Miami Dolphins, who have that one seed where things sit right now, the Baltimore Ravens and Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's go to the NFC where Pete Carroll is stepping in to Michael's office after the Seahawks' 6-3 and start. Seattle has now lost three straight and seem to be fading. They've got the 49ers and Eagles in back-to-back games to close out a brutal stretch of their schedule. What does Carroll need to do to avoid falling out of the playoff race altogether?
3: You know, Pete, all it takes is one win. All it takes is one win. You know that better than I do. One win. All, And you finally got your offense in gear last week. You finally scored 35 points. The problem is you went against a defensive offensive team that was lights out. And the schedule doesn't get any easier because you're going to play a team on the road whose offense is lights out. But you know that team. You understand that team. You know how to play that team. You played them well in the playoff game last year. You just got to make your team believe without any evidence that they have enough confidence to go down there and play well. One win can propel you to more wins. But you got to get that one win. We got to win the close games. And you got to play much better on defense than we've played all year. I mean, I think that's going to be the key for the team. Got to play better defensively. We haven't been able to get control of the game. When you give up 33 first downs like we did the other night, or you give up 23 against San Francisco, you got no chance to win the game. The game you should have won with a Ram game, your field goal kicker has really let you down this year. I think that's come through pretty clearly. So for me, it's just about one game. Don't worry about what's ahead of you. You got after Philadelphia, you got Tennessee, Pittsburgh, and Arizona. You know, you can win all three of those games that put you at nine wins. You got to find a way to win one of the next two.
4: It is a compact race for those wild card spots in the NFC. Minnesota, Green Bay, the Rams, as well as Seattle, all sitting six and six right now. But with Seattle and L.A. specifically, they're both teams in the NFC West. If it comes down to one of them, L.A. obviously has that tiebreaker. The Seattle Seahawks are just one in three in NFC West play as of right now. We're going to step aside when we come back. V-CIN's Mike Pritchard, NFL analyst, is going to join us, get his big takeaways from week 13 in the NFL and his opinion on tonight's Monday night football game we'll be right back on the Lombardi line
2: This is the Lombardi Line with former
1: NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here's your host, Stormy
3: Bonatoni, on vSEN, the sports betting network.
4: DraftKings Sportsbook. This week, new customers can bet $5 and pocket $200 and bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code VEGAS when you sign up. That's V-E-G-A-S DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. We are wrapping up this Monday edition of the Lombardi Line presented by DraftKings alongside Michael Lombardi. I'm Stormy Bonantoni and we got a good Monday night football game to close things out here tonight. Okay, (laughs) let's Like, let me try to hype it up a little bit. It had a little bit of a different flair to it when it was two former number one overall picks, Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. Uh, Jake Browning's got a little bit of a different flavor to this Monday night game, as Jacksonville is now all the way up, Michael, to a double-digit favorite at home, taking on the Bengals today. What do you think about the one tonight? Well,
3: I mean, it was eight and a half all week, and it just kind of finally had a tick up there. I think the more people pay attention to Cincinnati's team, they realize that all season long, Cincinnati has not been very good on defense. For all the conversation about, you know, their, their offense and losing Burrow, which is hard to do, but they have not been good defensively. You know, they give up 544 yards to the Houston Texans, never slowed them down. You know, they give up 405 to Baltimore. That's not a crime, but they did. And last week against Pittsburgh, who we saw Arizona shut down, Pittsburgh put 421 on them and 153 on the ground. So this game sets up really well for Jacksonville in the sense that they should be good offensively. And for Trevor Lawrence, he needs to be good offensively at home. I mean, he has not played as well at home as he has on the road. His numbers are down, his yards per attempt. On the road, he's 5-0, and believe it or not. He's 5-0 and on the road, and he's 3-3 and at home and he just hasn't had that same kind of feel to him at home throwing the football that he needs to have. You know, the the, the the first Texan game we threw for 288 yards, but that was not really, you know, they were behind that game he had to throw. All the other games up until the Tennessee game last week were all below 200 yards passing. He has not played. His 6. 6.9 yards per attempt at home. But when he goes on the road he's up to eight point1. This is a moment where they got to play better at home and this is the perfect team to play better against because when you're playing against Cincinnati, you know if you can take away the one back runs, if you can take away the big plays to chase to to uh, Jamar Chase, where are they going to score points? I mean this team is set up for burrow to be under center right. They're 30, you know, they're 32nd in rushing attempts. They're 5th in passing attempts. Now, you really think that, that Browning's going to be able to throw the ball every snap?
4: No, he's, he's not built to have to throw the ball 40, 40 times in the game. And no. obviously the lack of a run game was problematic for them against the Steelers last week when they were only able to muster up 10 points in a 16-10 to 10 loss. For Jacksonville, I, I feel very much so on the same page as you is there's so much opportunity for them to score and for them to do things tonight I just wonder if they will they're not the type of team that's used to being a big favorite right I mean historically looking back because of a lot of their struggles and even the past two years when they've gotten better they haven't been a favorite of eight plus points they haven't been a favorite of that margin since 2018 week three of that season against the Tennessee Titans so laying double digits is a really really different role for them Michael so as it pertains to that number specifically which way do you lean against Cincinnati
3: you know because I worry how is Cincinnati going to move the football right how are they going to score points right you know they cannot run the ball they're 32nd in rushing attempts they're 32nd in yards oh but they're 29th in touchdowns and they're 27th in yards per attempt this is a team that gives up rushing yards see here's the kind of the understanding of how you build teams when you can't run the ball you can't play run defense And people say, why is that? Well, because you don't get enough practice against a good run team. And so there's no physicality in your defense. They're 31st in the league in yards per attempt. They're 31st in yards allowed on the ground. You know, now they're better if you throw the ball. They're third in interceptions, but they can't stop the big play. They're 31st in the big play. So this is a really hard – Lou Amaromo has been a great coordinator for Zach Taylor. But he's been in always – he's in a tough spot because Zach builds a team around 11 personnel, and I'm going to throw it all over the place. And, you know, and they've been able to get away with it. But, you know, it's very challenging. And when you look at what they've done, I mean, Zach Taylor without Burrow. You talk about Belichick. He's 34-24 and straight up with Burrow. He's 4-20 and without him.
4: Lately, recent history, Bengals – 2-3 and ATS away from home, 0-3 ATS their last three in general. Meanwhile, Jacksonville, the only no cover as for for them recently was that blowout loss to the San Francisco 49ers. Other than that, they've been a really good cover team. Seven of their last eight games, they've covered five straight in conference. Um, With this total, Monday night primetime unders 13-1 13-1 yeah. and one to the under. I mean, and between Sunday yeah. and Monday night, those numbers are absurd, too. It's like 30-something to 4 to the under, I want to say, um, dating back to the last yeah. 36 or 38. And obviously, last night we had an over. So do you feel like we're due for, <laughs> for another under tonight? I don't
3: know if Brownie can score. I mean, look, one thing we do know, the Jaguars in the last eight games are 7-1 and one against the spread. They're a good spread team. But this spread's a little long, right? It's a mm. little too long. You know, you worry That's what about I said. it. Are yeah, I think
4: it's too big. For them you know, to, for them to cover, I, I,
3: yeah. But we're talking about Jake Browning, and we're talking about a defense here with the with the Jacksonville Jaguars that you know they're used to playing against eleven personnel. The Jaguars are fairly good, you know, at being able to stop, at being able to get pressure on the passer. You know that you can throw the ball on Jacksonville, but you got to be able to protect a little bit. I'm not sure they can. I'm not sure this offensive line, which is really soft. It has a, it will be able to will be able to handle it. Now this is the healthiest Cincinnati's been all year, Stormy. I mean, they're going to have Higgins on the field. They're going to have all their guys on the field. Other than Burrow, they're really healthy.
4: I don't have a bet in this game where things sit right now. Maybe as we get closer to game time, I can talk myself into something or get involved in some of those first touchdown props, which are always fun pizza money bets if you want action on the game. But I just don't have I don't have a lot of clarity one way or the other. I don't believe in what the Bengals are doing offensively or defensively for that matter right now. But Jacksonville, yeah. it's such a big favorite. You're not going to make a ton of money laying double digits, especially in a primetime game. So um, I've gone back and forth on it. I probably will still for the next couple of hours. But we've got a couple of minutes here left in the show. Michael, are there any other games that we didn't get an opportunity to talk about much today that you want to make sure that we touch on?
3: Well, you know, when, when we were going through the games, I mean, the, the, we talked about the Zach Taylor. Maybe they want him back. That makes sense. I was disappointed in the Lions' defensive effort. I mean, there was an opportunity for the Saints to get back in that game and win the game. The Lions are struggling still defensively. I know they got the big lead, but they're able to do it. I was really disappointed in the Chargers. They really didn't do anything in the game. Yeah. Now, New England did less. Both teams never made the red zone. I don't know how the Chargers are going to get up off the mat and go play. I mean, no, but Keenan Allen's not even healthy. They didn't even try to double Keenan Allen in the game. You know, the other team I think that's interesting of the, the Texans. They just find they haven't played well the last two weeks, but they've won the last two weeks. They've been really an every time I want to bet against them or or downplay them, they're pretty good. You know, and this week they go up to the Jets and. You know, they'll move the ball. I mean, the one thing about the Jet game and the Texan game, just a little side note, it's, it's an inter-squad scrimmage for the Texans because that's the defense the Texans run.
4: Mm. Interesting point there for sure. That I can't get over that Chargers-Patriots result, Michael, that it's another no. loss where the Patriots' D holds an opponent to 10 points or fewer and they can't win the game. The fact that L.A. covered that game and only scored six yeah. points is absurd.
3: It's absurd. I thought the Patriots had a chance to win the game. Yep. and I, think I, handic- I thought they would make one or two plays. But here's the, here's the issue we don't discuss enough. Patriots' average starting field position in the game was the 14-yard line. And because of that, the Patriots can't put 8, 9, 10, 12 plays together to score. And they don't have any plays that they can make explosively. So when you put them on their own 14, they'll, they ch- they'll get it to midfield, but then it shuts down. They really are a 20-40 to team. They can go from their 20 to your 40. But when they get to your 40, you're going to sack them. They're going to turn it over. It's exactly what happened in this game. Stevenson fumbles. They get to the 40. All of a sudden, Bailey Zappi takes two sacks. I mean, it was really, really bad situationally. And the Patriots have no one to blame but themselves. The quarterbacking position is just atrocious.
4: How ugly has this gotten for Belichick now?
3: Well, I mean, it's you know, it's amazing thing about him is he keeps working it, you know. But it's hard; it's hard to fix the problems when every day there's another problem. You know, the line messed up on this block. They don't block this guy on a short yardage, and then they get this guy. Block. There's there's just there's just not enough going on. And it started this summer. It started this summer. That's why it's so important to figure out what's wrong with your team.
4: Yeah, Mac Jones wasn't it. Bailey Zappi's not it. Maybe they give another guy a shot. It has been really, really rough offensively. A 6-0 shutout to the Los Angeles Chargers. That's a wrap for Michael and I today. Keep it locked right here on v Sharp Money coming up next. If you're watching on DraftKings Network, it's Pablo Torre. But we will be back here tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a great day. Good luck with your Monday Night Football action.